Welcome to Adult Bedtime Stories. Are you ready to experience nocturnal emissions? Join us in a sex-positive awakening adventure to help create a sex-positive world. Become part of a movement and start living a sex-positive lifestyle free of sexual shame and guilt. Adult Bedtime Stories is a Raven Slayer production. Adult Bedtime Stories is a show dedicated to bringing sacredness back to our sexuality and to learn about everything sexual. Allow the beautiful sexy creature within you to emerge. Each week the focus of the show will be on a different sexual topic designed to enlighten you so you develop more fully as a sexual being. This is a sex education that you didn't receive in high school, but should have. Imagine for a moment that we could change the world and live a sex-positive lifestyle. In our sex-negative world, the process of socialization teaches us to feel shame and guilt around sex. By adopting a new set of attitudes and values around sex, we can view sex with a new understanding, which is accompanied with positive emotions and the attitude that sex is a sacred act. I am Ladyboy Chi, a sex expert, a life coach, and a sacred harlot. My life vision is to create a sex-positive world through adult education and BDSM performance art. Hello and welcome. I am Ladyboy Gigi, and tonight's episode is What's So Bad About Sex? <laughs> and I thought I'd do this episode because I know that when I was growing up, oftentimes I was given all these social messages and sex and masturbation were so taboo. <laughs> you couldn't even talk about it. So I thought I'd do a show on What's So Bad About Sex? One of the things that kind of led me to this is that I realized early on that nature had created a sex machine in us. Our bodies are designed for sex and for pleasure. Our bodies are, our brains are wired for it. Our bodies are created as sexual bodies. And there's a lot of diversity in our bodies, even in our sex. We're not just male or female. There's a whole spectrum of sexes out there. I think a lot of times we get so hung up on it because of religion and ultra-conservatism and many other factors really play a part in making sex this shameful act. It's supposed to be natural. If you do something unnatural, it's evil and sinful and bad. 
And I'd like to dispel some of those myths. I mean, any sexual fantasy that I've ever had has always been just that, a sexual fantasy. All in my head. There's no good or bad to fantasies. It's on our behavior and what makes sex good good is when it's between two consenting adults that causes no harm to anyone. And I think as long as sex is beautiful and consented and between consenting adults, whatever you want to do is up to you. And there is no good or bad. It's desire. Desires are neither good or bad. It's how we act on them. And so being able to make love in new and exciting and challenging ways adds spice to our love life. But I have Paul with me. Hey, guys. And what would you like to throw in for this intro? <laughs> I know for me, I grew up in a in a different generation than you. And in the generation I grew up in, it was such a conflicting thing because my parents were very open about sex and sexuality with me. But I know that a lot of my friends did not get the the same treatment at home. And I could tell that there was a big gulf between people that really was largely contingent on their parents and their parents' morals. And so there were a lot of conflicting ideas about sex that I grew up with. And I noticed that it was very hard on everyone with me growing up with a sex-positive background When I would talk with my friends, a lot of my friends assumed that my family was just evil and sinful and oh-so-corrupt. And I also know when I got further into high school and I was hanging out with groups of friends that were largely very open sexually, that when someone would join our group of friends who came from a more sheltered background. When they didn't know about sex, they were kind of judged and judged harshly even sometimes for their lack of knowledge or things like that. So I think that it harmed everyone. And I think as a society, it's very harmful because we don't get an adequate sex education even for married couples that are supposedly sanctioned to have sex, aren't taught how to really pleasure each other. It's assumed that, oh, they'll figure it out. (laughs) And I think that's a disservice to adults and to all people. I know that a lot of times even couples can't communicate well about sex, about what they desire and share with each other what they want to experience. Often there's shame or doubts or will they think I'm weird if I say I'm into oral sex or I like to get a spanking or I like to be tied up. And so our sex life stays so within the normal framework of 
boy meets girl, gets happily married, does missionary position, and has 2.5 kids. <laughs> and so even couples are afraid to often to tell their partners, oh, would you like to experiment or explore? And I think one of the things that I like to bring up is that being explorative, being creative, is a big part of many other areas in our life. Why is it so bad in sex? To explore and try new things and play around with it and let the inner child come out and play. Any thoughts? I was just reminded about a friend of mine that I had who had a story about he had been dating this girl for a little while and she kept on asking him like so you know what are your sexual fantasies and he kept on kind of skirting the issue and not bringing it up but finally she badgered him enough and he started talking about all of the sadistic things that he was into and BDSM and it horrified her so much that she broke up with him and oh <laughs> listening to something by Dan Savage that was saying if you push your partner to tell you their sexual fantasies and desires don't be surprised if they're completely outside of what you're interested in we're we're humans we all have different sexual desires and if you create a Venn diagram of everything that you're into and everything your partner's into, if the only things on the table are the things in the middle of the Venn diagram, then both of y'all aren't getting most of your needs met. But if instead you're willing to go outside of your comfort level, not so outside that it's going to traumatize you, but if you're willing to go outside of your comfort level and your partner is willing to go outside of their comfort level, you might discover things that you're really into. And then everyone gets more of their needs met. And I think another concept that might help in this is that we're not always the same over our lifespan as to our likes and desires and to what we enjoy. Those things can change over time. And especially if you've been in a long-term relationship, oftentimes that's one of the big complaints that comes in, up is that, oh, sex is so routine and so, you know, we always do the same thing. It's just kind of getting stale. And so part of one of the big complaints I hear about people in long-term relationships is that things do get kind of stale. And it's because we're afraid to explore and really discover what pleasures we can reach through sexuality. I even heard of a case a while back where this woman, well, it was a person that came into the temple a while back, and she was shamed by a boyfriend because... She liked to have oral sex done on her when she was having her period. And it was like, there's no need to shame her or break up with her. Just if it's not your thing, just explain, okay, I'm not into that. But 
to kind of demonize it and say, oh, you're a bad person because you're into this, that's that's just going too far, I think. <laughs> oh, I agree entirely. I think that that's one of the strong points of polyamory because I remember I was in a relationship when I really discovered my interest in kink and BDSM and my partner at the time wasn't into it at all but I still was able to to explore that part of my sexuality because we weren't exclusive and mm -hmm. it was really helpful and I understand that polyamory isn't for everyone but for those who are polyamorous, that's one of the real strong points of polyamory. And there's other options besides just polyamory. You can have polyfidelity where you have three or more partners but that stay exclusive within that group. Or you can have many other relationship configurations. So polyamory isn't the only other option. <laughs> Plus... A lot of BDSM, I realize, is not sexual in nature. I know you and I both like to, to mix sexuality in with our BDSM, but there are many types of BDSM that are not sexual. Oh, and yeah. I know that there are a lot of couples where one half of the couple is vanilla, and while they're sexually monogamous with each other, one of the partners allows their other partner to get their, their BDSM in without them so that they can still feel fulfilled in that way while still being able to maintain their monogamous, you know, status. And I think it is good to Talk with your partner, even if you are in a monogamous relationship, and explore, can we have other options? Maybe your partner's only into monogamy, but at least discuss it and come to terms with it with each other. I think a lot of times partners cheat because there are no other options. And sex is a very strong drive in us. And sometimes one person can't fill all our sexual needs. And I even have known of monogamous couples that thought that masturbation was being unfaithful. And masturbation's actually very good for learning how to pleasure yourself opens the door to bringing more pleasure to each other. And so why outlaw masturbation as part of monogamy. That just never made sense. <laughs> I think that it's a healthy conversation to have with your partner, even if your the rules don't change, to find out where some of the, the feelings come from. Mm -hmm. Because I don't think jealousy is good for any relationship. I can understand if if you will never be able to get past a certain amount of jealousy, and that is one of the reasons that you need to stay monogamous, but it's healthy to explore that jealousy 
whether whether ultimately you open up the relationship or not and understand where that jealousy is coming from and to try to help dissuade some of that jealousy and talk through it because someone can be very faithful for their entire relationship and jealousy can still poison that relationship even if the other partner does nothing to deserve that jealousy. Mm -hmm. And I think that kind of touches on a similar topic, and that is that when we live in a mainly monogamous culture, it sets the stage for cheating and for dumping one partner for another. When you open the door to many different legitimate relationship styles, it opens up communications and creates a much healthier approach where you're no longer cheating and going behind your partner's back, but enjoying other relationships with their blessing and consent. And by doing so, you're not leaving that partner for another, and I think that's where one of the big fears comes from. You're adding to the relationship. I know I've been living a polyamorous lifestyle my whole adult life. And one of the things I discovered through this process was that there's times when my lover was with someone else and learned a new technique and brought it home to me. And that was awesome. <laughs> and so there are some benefits where we can learn and grow and experience new things and bring them home to share with our partner and build a deeper relationship with our polyamorous partner. I I had a friend one time. It was a couple of friends. It was a couple. And they were monogamous, but all of a sudden they came into a friend group that was largely polyamorous and they started spending a lot of time with polyamorous people and they had a discussion about it and decided to stay monogamous but through spending as much time with polyamorous people as they did the communication between the two of them got so much better and they were able to talk about things that they had never talked about with each other because they always assumed that the other person was on the same general wavelength as they were. And it really opened up a lot of space for them to communicate with each other and talk with each other about things. And yeah. they even got comfortable talking with each other about who the other one was attracted to and what made that other person attractive. And it, it changed some of the approaches they, they took with each other, if we're not going to do polyamory, like maybe there are things that we can do to be more enticing and appealing to the other one. And both of them said several times to many of us in the polyamorous community that they had become a part of that they really thought that their relationship got so much better through knowing polyamorous people just 
by learning how to communicate with each other the way that polyamorous people have to. Yeah, and I think another thing that that touches on is being able to communicate your desires to your partner. I mean, we're having sex together, but we can't talk about it. I think that one of the things that's always kind of surprised a lot of my past lovers is that I'd open up discussions. I'd say, you know, I'd kind of like to lick your ass and lick around it and give you some new pleasures. Would you be open to that? And they'd just go, wow, you can talk about this? (laughs) (laughs) And it was surprising for a lot of them. But it was surprising in a good way because they said, wow, that's, I've always kept this so secret. (laughs) And it's from living in a sex-negative culture that we're taught to keep all these kind of everything except what is normal secret. And by opening up and sharing with one another our different tastes and maybe we don't even know what it would feel like to have our ass licked. But maybe we're a little curious. Maybe I want to try that out. I learned through sex ed class that the anus has is rich in nerve endings and can be an amazing pleasure center. And then especially for men, but I think for women too, the anal sex can bring about more of an emotional sexuality. It touches on the emotions in a deeper way, or at least for me it has especially when you get into prostate stimulation. And for women, working with the G-spot and massaging that can bring out more emotions. It's with the clitoral orgasm and the, the head of the penis type stimulation orgasm that brings the fireworks, <laughs> but it registers lower in the brain stem. Whereas orgasms from the prostate gland bring about more of an emotional orgasm. And I have both giggled and cried at the same time from the pleasures of anal sex. (laughs) And so being able to tell your partner, oh, I think I'd like to experiment and see what it's like or try this out. It really opens the door when we can communicate to each other honestly and without judgment, and I think that's key. And that's one of the early discussions I have with new partners. This is a non-judgment zone. Don't judge me, I won't judge you. Everything's cool, you can do what's within your boundaries and limits. I'm not here to make you do something you don't wanna do. At the same time, I'm not here to do anything I don't wanna do. I'm going to stay within my boundaries and limits. And then we can explore together what's within our parameters as a couple. Now, you said that you learned about all of the nerve endings uh, in the anus through sex ed. I'm assuming that's not through sex ed at your high school. No, no. This is a very special advanced college course. (laughs) is on human sexuality, and it was taught by a very progressive sex ed teacher who had written the textbook, and it was very advanced. I mean, he covered 
sexuality A to Z. <laughs> Even bestiality was covered in the textbook. Not that he promoted it, but it was covered because it's part of the human sexual experience for some people. And so everything was covered and covered very frankly and openly and he didn't put any judgments on it. He just said, this is the human condition. And these are, you know, you'd be surprised at how many people are into things that you wouldn't think. It's amazing. Sexual interests are as diverse as people are. And so you get a beautiful diversity out there just in sexual interests and sexual pursuits. And sometimes there can be interests that just stay fantasies. And staying in the fantasy world is great mm -hmm. because you can do some of the things in fantasy that you can't really do in real life. I think it's really sad. I know that especially at places like Burns or places that get people to to open up in new ways that they're not used to. I know I've had a lot of conversations with people because I am so sexually open and I am so open-minded to other things. I've had conversations with people and they open up to me and eventually they'll express something like, you know, it's sad that they'll never be able to tell their husband or their spouse or their boy, you know, or their girlfriend or boyfriend something because, you know, it's just been so long and they haven't ever said anything about it. And you well, know, I'd like to talk a little bit about that because there is a process to opening up and you don't want to just open up from a framework of, oh, anxiety, I've got this secret I want to share with you. But there are some methods that can be very helpful, like listening to different topics on this show with your partner can sometimes generate a discussion after listening. And it's a safer, easier way to open up to your partner and say, you know, I found it kind of fascinating what he was talking about when he was talking about licking an asshole. I wonder what that would be like. And just by hearing it presented openly, it kind of opens the door for discussion instead of coming up to your partner and going, uh, I'm kind of scared to tell you, but I think I might want to try licking your ass. <laughs> <laughs> And so it's a whole different way to bring up the discussion in a more safe and kind of protected way. Does that kind of make sense? Oh, yeah, definitely. And so oftentimes by, I'm here to talk about anything and everything. I mean, I've done tried so many different things, everything from anal sex, both giving and receiving, to oral sex, to... Uh, rubbing my genitals all over a person's body to even doing BDSM, play sex, doing tantric work, doing all kinds of different things. And 
I have no problem discussing any of that openly with not just partners, but here on this podcast. <laughs> to me, it's all about the beauty of sexual diversity that's out there. Now, there's some things I'm not into, and there's some things I am. I mean, for instance, I'm not into scat play, but there's, for scat play, it's mainly due to health reasons. It's, if you get it in the wrong body cavities, it can be problematic <laughs> and can cause disease or infections. So, But I also know that if someone came into Temple and that was what they were really into, you'd never shun them or recoil oh, no. or, you know. No. I'd, I'd be I think very open to letting them play as long as they took the mm -hmm. right safety protocols. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and there are ways you can play with scat play safely, but you need to know what you're doing and not get it in the wrong places. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mainly just any moist membranes of the body, nasal area, mouth, uh, Eyes, so, ears. Yeah. <laughs> but you can, I mean, I've gotten into something similar to it. It's body painting. I've known some people that are into painting with mm -hmm. crap on the, each other's bodies. And that can be done safely. It's not quite my thing, but it is for others. And mm -hmm. so I'm not going to say, oh, you're bad for that. <laughs> That can be a good thing if it, whatever gets your dick hard. <laughs> as long as it's within the parameters of safe, sane, and consensual and does no harm. I am a big proponent of safety protocol. And so I look at a lot of sexuality as how can I do this safely? What do I need to learn about it? And discuss it with my partner and see, hey, are you interested in checking this out? Well, we're already to our station break time. <laughs> wow, mm -hmm. that half hour went by fast. Mm -hmm. I would like to remind people to check out our website, ravenslayerleather.com. We have training videos. We have a variety of topics. We also have, in the training programs, we've got worksheets and even audio files that you can listen to. I do a really good erotic meditation, which is amazing, where I just guide you and let you come up with the imagery you want to come up with and do the things you want to do during the meditation in your mind through fantasy. So I kind of guide you through this very erotic meditation, which is very good. Paul's even tried it, and he enjoyed it a lot. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then we also have a link to our Patreon page. And we always need support for this show. So if you can even give a dollar a month, it would be very welcome. But anything you want to add? Another way you can help the show is to give us a, a rating and a review and let us know what you like about the show, some things that maybe you would like to see different or a suggestion for a topic. Any of those things would be more than welcome. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, back to our show. Well, back again from our break. <laughs> One of the things that occurred to me was that oftentimes 
when we think about sex, and I think this is part of the fear about talking about sex, is that we think normal sex is good. Abnormal sex means that you're some kind of deviant. I'd like to say a couple of things about that. Number one, normal, at least statistically speaking, is a narrow range on the bell curve. It means average. The greatest number of people practice this. And who wants to have average sex? <laughs> Be daring a little bit. Live outside the average. Be creative. I think the other thing I'd like to say about it is that, unfortunately, in our sex-negative culture, psychology has pathologized so much in sex, or did at one point. It's getting better. I mean, everything like homosexuality and sodomy and many of the other, quote, dysfunctional sexualities have become normalized. And so it is okay. <laughs> and I think as we're learning and growing as a culture, we're realizing that the diversity of sexual expression is a beautiful thing. It's like nature. It's basically in how we carry it out and what we do with it. And is it safe, sane, and consensual? Is it something that we don't coerce from our partners? And I think that's a big part. You know, not pressuring our partner to do something they don't want to. Respect each other's boundaries and limits. <laughs> and I'd like to talk a little bit back about what we were talking about before our station break. It was talking with your partner. Oh, yeah, talking with your partner about sex. And oftentimes I hear people have kind of lost the intimacy and lost the passion in sex in long-term relationships. And a good way to bring back some of that intimacy and passion is to explore some of those more intimate thoughts and desires that we have. Share them with your partner. But one thing I like to do before I sh open up and share with my partner is set some ground rules. It's like it's important to say, okay, I'm not going to be judgmental. And when I share something I desire, even if it's a really hot burning desire, if you're not into it, that's okay. I'm not going to try to pressure you to do this and vice versa. If your partner's into something you're not into, they shouldn't be pressuring you either. That's where informed consent comes in. And so lay some ground rules. Say, you know, we're not going to pressure each other into something we don't want to do. This is a moment to become more intimate and share our desires and our hopes and sexual explorations and see where can what is possible for us to explore that we can agree to. And so I think with some simple ground rules, then open up and start sharing and with no expectation. I mean, I know that when I first started doing this, I shared with my partner one of my really burning desires, and I sat it down when the partner went into it, and I thought, boy, I opened up, I should be getting this, and 
No, <laughs> I kind of set myself up. <laughs> share with an openness to just be sharing. Share for the sake of sh sharing. And that way, without the expectation, you're not let down. If you go into it thinking, oh, if I share this, maybe next week we can try it, then, yeah, you're kind of setting yourself up. <laughs> share it with an open mind. And then that takes a lot of the pressure off. And I think that's why a lot of people don't share, is because it, it feels like such a loaded question. And so by setting up some parameters and saying, okay, well, share will be non-judgmental, and we won't be trying to push each other into crossing boundaries we don't want to. We'll set up good boundaries for our relationship. And this really opens the door to deeper bonding and intimacy in a relationship, if it's done correctly. Any thoughts? <laughs> I would like to reiterate, though, know ahead of time what you're real hard limits are when you're having this com conversation. And don't let your partner push you to do anything that really makes you uncomfortable. But if they bring up something that maybe isn't something you've ever seen yourself doing, you've never thought about doing, and maybe in the first moment it kind of uh, gives you a little bit of a weird feeling be willing to push past that a little bit be willing to have an open mind and especially if you expect the same thing out of your partner because a lot of times it does push it does take pushing past your comfort levels to really discover some of those really amazing parts of sex because a lot of the really kind of out there stuff is something that isn't immediately comfortable, but exploring it might give you amazing satisfaction that you never ever expected. I've found that a lot of times when I talk to people about some of the more taboo things that they're into, they got into it because their partner was really into it. And they explored with their partner some, and it turned out that their partner wasn't, weren't as into it as they thought they would be. But the partner who wasn't immediately receptive to the idea found that it was something that they were super into. Yeah. <laughs> It's funny how things like that happen sometimes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it is important, though, to set those kind of ground rules when you have a discussion about sex. I think another area that's related is unpleasuring each other and showing each other how you like to be pleasured. Oftentimes in relationships, we put up with what our partner's doing because we don't want to offend them or we don't want to overstep our boundaries or say, oh, you're doing it all wrong. And oftentimes I'll just say, let me show you how I enjoy it. We're all wired differently neurologically. 
And so sometimes I'll show my partner how I like them to grip my penis when they're masturbating me, what pressure to use, or how to really stimulate me in the ways that can be from just feeling kind of good to really hot and horny and unstoppable. <laughs> and just like, ooh, that's really shooting the lid off. <laughs> By making a pact with your partner to share more intimate details about what you enjoy and how you enjoy it, you can take each other to greater sexual heights and receive pleasures you never even dreamed were possible. It can be amazing. Part of the sex-positive approach is to open up communications and talk about sex. Talk about, and you can do it also non-verbally. Show, do a show and tell with your partner. Show them how you like to masturbate yourself and watch your partner as they masturbate. It can be so much fun. <laughs> well, I'd like to kind of take a, an, a kind of different look at what's so bad about sex and where did all this come from? And I think a lot of it came from religions and very conservative groups and quite frankly, it doesn't really represent the whole population. And one of the things we're seeing all around the world is an opening up of sexuality. I think partly because of the internet, we're learning, oh, more people are into this than I even dreamed were possible. And it gives a lot more legitimacy when we know, oh, it's not just me that has these feelings. I'm not the lone wolf. <laughs> There's whole groups of people that are into rimming or into BDSM or into all the naughty stuff <laughs> or taboo stuff. <laughs> Any thoughts, Paul? I know that growing up with the Internet, it definitely... From a fairly young age, I realized that there was a wide world out there that my 15-year-old head really couldn't really contain. And I was honestly shocked about a lot of the things that were out there. But I think that it did me a good service later in life when I started meeting a lot of people into kink and alternative sexuality is that I had some basis of understanding of various different things. I think the internet has been really monumental in changing the world of sex and sexuality and putting people in touch with like-minded people I think that it's a really wonderful thing that even in very rural conservative places that there are different avenues people have to discover some of the like-minded people that can help teach them about different techniques and different ways of expressing. I, I think it's a really beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. I know that when I used to hitchhike, 
there were several times that I caught rides with gay people in very rural communities. And I know all of them at one point mentioned how good the internet was for them because otherwise they'd just go crazy because as far as they knew, they were the only queer person in a, you know, 50-mile radius to them. But the internet kind of kept them in tune to what was going on in the rest of the world. And I'd like to also add that oftentimes when it comes to sex, we we get kind of caught up in the moment. And we think we get these burning desires and we think we've got to have this now. And one of the things I've learned in my life is that oftentimes we don't need to have it right now. Oftentimes, if we set it on the back burner, not too far back, it can grow with anticipation. The thoughts and fantasies can still bring it alive to a certain level when we masturbate and self-pleasure ourselves and dream about the day that friend or lover will do the taboo activity with me. And then when that day does come, it's so amazing. And I've researched it, I've gotten on the internet, I've learned from other people I know how to do it and what some of the tricks of the trade are, so to speak, how to do it better. (laughs) And so if you can't do it immediately, start researching it for the day that you can do it. Because that can be exciting, and doing the research is fun. It's like I researched many different activities before I got into them, and and just by reading about it and talking to a few people about it that were really into it and had the experience to share, I could learn so much about it before I even tried it out myself. Yeah, that reminds me of When I first got in a polyamorous relationship, I had been, for years and years, I had been reading on different web boards and in different groups about polyamory, and I had read about so many stories of uh, problems that people would encounter in polyamory, because a big part of the web boards, especially earlier on when I was researching this before polyamory really started to pick up as much as it has now, uh, they were mostly advice boards on, I'm going through this problem, will someone more experienced in polyamory tell me what I need to do or how I can help fix this thing Mm -hmm. and most most of the time it just came down to communication but through reading about all of those stories when I got in my first polyamorous relationship when I saw a problem developing I made it a point like hey let's have like a group discussion I don't want this to to fester 
let's all talk about this. And then we did. And some of those were not easy conversations, but we had the conversations and we wound up being better because of it. And I remember that even though we were, we had a lot of polyamorous friends, a lot of people looked at our relationship as one of the ones that worked really well that was really healthy and I think it was because I spent so much time before I had ever gotten in a polyamorous relationship researching and studying like how to make a polyamorous relationship work and I think that it was extremely beneficial for me to spend those years of my life studying how to do it correctly. Mm-hmm. And I'd also like to kind of talk a little bit about some of those fantasies where your partner may not be into it. And one of the techniques I used in the past, like I once had a girlfriend that thought, oh, anal sex is dirty and didn't want anything to do with it. <laughs> you know, I was wanting her to do me, not I wasn't as interested in entering into her with my cock. And so instead of, you know, I didn't want to put any pressure on her, but I did want to experience it. And I said, I have two options. One, I'd enjoy masturbating alone using a dildo on myself. Or if you'd like, I can put on a little sex show for you. And masturbate while using a dildo on myself and she was okay with that and so she watched me do it and by watching me she realized oh it's not so dirty because I did a complete anal douche or enema and took a good soapy hot bath and got really good and clean beforehand and and I put on a really hot show And one of the things she said afterwards was, wow, I can see how much that really, how much pleasure you got into. That was one of the hottest orgasms I've seen you have. And I mean, by the end of it, I was, tears were going down my face. I was giggling. It was just, and oh, when I came, it was like, oh, (laughs) bucket loads. (laughs) And partly when you massage the prostate gland, it does produce much more ejaculate. (laughs) And she found that part of it really hot, so she learned through the process. So sometimes just taking an activity and giving different options other than having your partner do it for you can open the door and can be enlightening, and we can learn from it. But it all should be done with informed consent, and I think that's really key, and good communications, and that's really key. If we can't communicate about this stuff, then we're kind of shutting ourselves off and shutting ourselves down sexually, because it really does take having some of these harder discussions but the benefits of it are just amazing. <laughs> Any thoughts, Paul? 
I think that communication really is the cornerstone of every good relationship. Learning how to communicate with your partner is probably the single best thing that you can do for any relationship. And this works with sex and it works with everything that isn't sex as well. It's all all around. It's just so important and strong to have good communication with the person that you spend the most time with. And I think that it's also important for other relationships, for friendships, for even your your colleagues or co-workers or any relationship that you have with a person. Le- learning good communication skills can help strengthen any bond that you have in your life. And learning it with your romantic partners can be so powerful and so amazing. I I think that it's really the best relationship skill that you can possibly have. And I'd like to say another thing about communication, especially with sexual communication. When we can open up to each other, it's not just a one-way street. It's not just me sharing with my partner what I desire, but it's hearing my partner's desires and what they want to experience. And I've had partners after I shared my experience, you know, my desires with, they opened up to me and gave them permission to open up and say, yeah, I'd like to do such and such. And I'd never even thought of it. And I thought, ooh, what a novel idea. (laughs) I'd be into doing that. Let's try it out. (laughs) And so we can open the door to better communications and discover a deeper level of each other and build a deeper intimacy and bring a lot more pleasure into our relationship and our sex life. It can be such an amazing adventure. Oh, yeah. The ability to listen well and to let your partner know that you're hearing them. I think that's one of the most important parts of communication. One of the things that I think really helps to let your partner know that you are hearing them, that you're listening to them. A lot of people, when someone else is talking to them, they're thinking about what they're going to say next. And rather than doing that, you actively listen to your partner as they're communicating with you. And when they get done, re-say the same thing that they said to you in your own words to make sure that you have heard them properly because you don't want to come away with a different interpretation of what they were saying than what they were trying to communicate to you. And that gives them the opportunity to say, yeah, that's that's what I, you know, that's what I was saying. Or to to say no, actually I what I mean is this. 
And I think that is a very strong tool for communication. And your partner will probably really appreciate the fact that you are hearing them, that you're not just scanning what they have to say, but you're really listening closely to what they have to say. And I think that that's a very strong skill for communication. And I think it's even more important when we're sharing intimate information because you don't want to get it wrong. (laughs) So what's so bad about sex? I think for me, living in such a sex-negative culture with all the taboos and social conditioning, it brings up all this angst. It brings up all of this shame, doubt, fears, about am I normal, am I doing it right? Well, let me tell you, I've been around a long time in the sex play arena. There is not a right way or a wrong way. There is not anything that's so taboo that you can't do it, at least in fantasy. Some things you may need to keep private if it's really way out there, but I doubt there's many things that you would have to keep totally secret. Find someone that you can confide in. It's not really good to keep secrets from every single person. Find a mentor if you can't share some of these things with your partner. Find someone that can give you advice, but that is trustworthy and will respect confidentiality. It's important to have someone. And if you don't have a friend, you can always Go see a counselor and get some insights. Counseling can be a very good thing. But back to what's so bad about sex, I think what's so bad about it is the culture we live in has turned it into such a horrific thing, whereas in nature you observe animals and they're doing all kinds of things without a second thought. I think what's so bad about it is that we put so much stuff on ourselves, so much angst on ourselves, and it doesn't need to be there. And with some communication skills and with sharing and with exploring, we can turn this around and start experiencing a much enriched sex life. You look thoughtful. (laughs) I think that... By opening up yourself to your own inner desires, the things that make you tick, the things that turn you on, and accepting it at least within yourself, it can do a lot to make you stronger. I know that for me there were a lot of things that I used to feel bad about the things that turned me on and really excited me and I used to wonder whether I was broken or crazy or damaged and it was going through the training that I did with Gigi and Gigi letting me know that none of those things make you a bad person none of those things damage anyone 
if you keep them between consensual partners and don't do anything that would hurt anyone, none of those thoughts are bad thoughts. They're just thoughts. They're just fantasies. And it really helped me to feel a lot better about myself because I think for a long time I thought of myself as someone with a deep, dark secret. You know, I was a very loving person and everyone saw the really good parts of me and I always thought that somehow I was fooling everyone, that I was tricking everyone into thinking that I was a good person and if they could see my dark internal thoughts that everyone would hate me or something. And I think that's something that a lot of people are going through as they come face to face with the things that turn them on. But as Gigi said earlier, there is absolutely no wrong way to fantasize. There's no wrong way to have a sexual fantasy. And sometimes you need to find someone who's willing to help you role-play things, and it might be kind of difficult to find someone to help you, but if you keep trying, they're out there. And, and even if you can't role-play it, you have the fantasy to experience it in. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we just need that outlet mm -hmm. to be, not bottle it all up inside, but mm -hmm. to be able to experience it at the fantasy level it's better than not experiencing it at all mm -hmm. and just stuffing that feeling down yeah I and i think it's when we stuff those feelings away and deny them that they have a bad habit of coming out inappropriately and in bad ways <laughs> yeah i was i was gonna say that that um when i started allowing myself to fantasize about things. I found that during the time that I was fantasizing, I would allow myself to think about some of these things. And then afterwards, it didn't occupy any of my my thoughts. It's only there during fantasy. Whereas before, when I would try to stuff it down and I would try to deny myself and I'd feel so guilty and terrible about those things. It occupied much more of my day-to-day -day thoughts, and I felt like I got a lot healthier after I started allowing myself to, to fantasize about things. Mm -hmm. Once again, if you, for these darker and more really scary parts of ourselves, it's always good to find a counselor or a therapist to talk to about them. They have to keep it confidential, <laughs> unless you're breaking a law or danger to self or others. But like an illegal fantasy, you can fantasize about everything, anything. That's legal. Now, acting on it's a whole different story on some things. <laughs> 
So when you share with your counselor, let them know that this is a fantasy. I don't want to make it reality, but this is what I'm experiencing, especially for some of the darker fantasies. And I will also say it's worthwhile, especially if you live in a city where you have a decent amount of options for different therapists, you might have to shop around for a therapist that's good for you, that won't victim blame or just think of you as a degenerate. Yeah. <laughs> and especially check out your GLBT counseling centers. Mm-hmm. They have a staff that's a little bit more open to mm-hmm. some of the more controversial taboos. <laughs> yeah. But and... it's good not to have to carry these by yourself. Mm-hmm. It's good to be able to get some guidance on how to work with these things. And it is good to fantasize. I've had some pretty out-there, kinky, dark fantasies, and they can be amazing. And once I experienced them in fantasy, it was like the pressure was off. And it was like, there's certain fantasies I don't ever want to play in real life then there's a lot that I do. <laughs> and then there's some that are impossible <laughs> or pretty much impossible. <laughs> I used to have flying dreams and, and some of my hot sexual fantasies or flying the, through the air while fucking. I mean, just reaching this orgasm as we're soaring through the air, just... Now, yeah, I could do it in a plane, but that's not quite the same. Just being naked in the sun and wind and soaring around na- over trees and nature while having an orgasm with a partner. Oh, it's a hot fantasy. It still gets me turned on. <laughs> down, boy, down. <laughs> but it's something I could never do in real life. <laughs> At least we don't have the technology yet. <laughs> So, anyway, we're coming to the end of another show. (laughs) Be sure to check out our website, ravenslayerleather.com. Any last words on our topic before we call it a night? (laughs) So, I feel like we've covered a fair amount this hour. Uh, We've discussed different fantasies and communication and all sorts of things. I think that I really hope that somehow this message has touched someone out there. If this message changes just one person's life, I think that everything that we do is worthwhile. I really, really hope that someone out there take something that we say to heart and really lets it in because a lot of these things that we're talking about you know between me and Gigi we've had a lot of experience and we've seen a lot of different things and the reason we do this podcast is because we really want to bring about a better world and help people and change people for the better and help people live a more sex-positive lifestyle. Yeah. It's amazing where you can go with this stuff. So if there's anything in this podcast that 
spoke to you, I would encourage people to spend some time and meditate on that thing that really spoke to you and see if there's a way that you can apply it in your life and help change your life for the better. And experience some of those amazingly good, sexy feelings. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I know that for me, when I first started embracing a more sex-positive lifestyle, it sparked something so deep inside. And through each and every step of experience, each and every orgasm and pleasuring, It's just opened up new worlds and possibilities within my life. And I know I've touched many of my partner's lives too with this. It can be just so incredibly enriching and rewarding. And it is hard sometimes. I've had to face my demons. I had to work through some difficult conversations sometimes. But I've learned how to do it better now. And so I share some of those techniques on this show, how to communicate with your partner and also have your partner listen to the show. By having your partner listen, it's not just coming from you. And that can sometimes help kind of bridge that fear and bridge some of the shame and doubt and self-questioning. And one thing I learned early on with what, seven billion people, seven and a half billion people on this planet, I don't think there is very much left, sexually speaking, that could be unique and untried. Somewhere, somehow, with as many people out there, as horny as people get, We've tried probably just about everything at some point or another as a human race. And I like to put it in that perspective because that kind of helped me realize I'm no different from all the people out there. But I am different. In some ways, I am unique. But there's no sexual act that I could perform that hadn't probably been done many times over by many, many people out there. We do live in a vast, amazing world. And with the internet, we're learning more about what people are into. So research it. (laughs) Check it out. And on that thought, have those amazing nocturnal emissions. Touch yourself. Get yourself aroused. Play with those naughty bits. Stimulate those genitals in new and good ways. Bring yourself to greater heights of pleasure. And with that, have a good night. Good night. I find it interesting that adults in our culture are not provided with informative sexual education. Even married couples don't have access to an adequate sexual education and how to pleasure each other. It's assumed that somehow we will instinctively know all that we need to know about sex. I don't know how you feel about this, but I think there's a better method. 
I would like to invite you to join me in developing a sex-positive lifestyle with freedom of sexual expression between consenting adults. Join us each week to learn everything sexual. Add your comments about the show and any suggestions you have for future show topics. We would love to hear from you. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you won't miss any episodes. This concludes this edition of Adult Bedtime Stories. Are you ready to experience nocturnal emissions? Sex is the final frontier. So explore everything sexual. <laughs>